Welcome to episode number 21 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is the podcast where helping academics change the world through online business. This is a podcast where you teach you, give you the systems, give you the frameworks to create your own online businesses so you can increase the impact that you can make in the world. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about how to run a successful online community for graduate students. And on the call to, to talk through that with us today is Dr. Katie Peplin from the Thrive PhD community. Katie, thanks for coming on the call. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So Dr. Katie Peplin founded Thrive PhD because she believed that grad school could be better and also that grad students could live human lives while going through grad school, which is a myth that I, I've heard quite a bit as well. So I'm happy somebody's fighting that fight. Katie has a, a master's from the University of California, a PhD from the University of Michigan. And I know her back from the self-employed PhD group, which has come up a couple times on the podcast. And it's been a couple of years now that we've kind of seen each other's businesses grow. I've seen Thrive PhD from pre-launch to picking names to um, what it's become today. And I really appreciate the way Katie does business. She's very open. She's very helpful. She's also a beast on social media. If you follow her on Thrive PhD on Twitter or Instagram, she's one of the people I strive to be like on social media, but uh, we're not quite there yet with Grabblogger. So in this episode, we're talking about how to run a successful online community. I want to kind of pick Katie's brain both about what Thrive is, but then what are the technology? What's the bolts behind it? What do you need to be thinking of? You want to build this sort of community. You're thinking how this is part of your business. As always, we'll have the transcripts upload at the show notes, which will be at grablawyer.com slash 21. We'll actually pull out a cheat sheet for tips for increasing community engagement inside of a community like this. And we'll kind of pull that through this discussion. So Katie, I think a good jumping off place here is, is just what is Thrive PhD today? And then we'll get into your background a bit after that. Yeah, so Thrive PhD is the overarching brand name that grew out of a community that I started for grad students just about a year and a half ago. Thrive PhD, the community, is a 12-week program for grad students where there's daily accountability and then there's also curriculum. So we cover topics from everything from how to do a diverse career search to how to optimize your schedule, how to deal with stress and anxiety. But the magic sauce is actually the community members. Um, You have a small group inside of the community. I think about it a lot like a summer camp and then a cabin. So everybody's in the same summer camp. Thrive PhD, but then you have a small cabin of about eight to 10 people, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, where you get to know that cabin really well. So inside of that cabin, there's a daily accountability post on weekdays where people can say what's working, what isn't, ask for support. But then there is also the benefit of the big camp. So we do have coaching calls with everybody once a week. We post those. There's the curriculum that I mentioned. There are big network-wide threads. And it's um, been a really successful kind of cornerstone for now what's grown, grown out of that, which has been online courses, some individual coaching, and in the future, maybe all sorts of other things too. It's always kind of growing and shape, shifting with that community at the center. Awesome. And so this is a 12-week, the kind of core element, I guess, is a, is a 12-week program plus curriculum plus community and having people that can be there to support you while you're making these decisions and moving through life. Do you run it every semester or something like that? Yeah. So we start it right about the first week of every quarter. So January 1st, April 1st, July 1st, and then October 1st. 
And then the sort of secret is that you join it for 12 weeks and then it's the sort of like base price, which I'm happy to talk about pricing and stuff um, because it's complicated with communities. But then you do have the option to continue and repeat the program as many times as you like. So we have a couple of people that have been in the program since my very first beta. And then we've had even more people that have joined it and then graduated or um, moved on to whatever is kind of coming next. So we have a whole program called Called alumni, where people can get stay stay engaged in the community if it's really useful for them, as long as they need it to. Very cool. So I want to get into a lot of the background for Thrive on technology, on pricing, like you mentioned, those sort of things. Before we even get into that, how did Katie Peplin end up creating a community in the first place? How did you get started online, and and where did Thrive even come from? So with everybody's kind of career story, business story, there's a thousand different ways to tell the same story. So I ended up in a city because I'm married to a partner with a very specialized skill set and knew that I was going to kind of need to have some flexibility in terms of what I could do because I was probably not going to have full and total control over the geographic location of my family. So I trained really extensively as a PhD student in... um, what's called in the field kind of educational development and professional development. So I was a teacher for teachers, basically. I consulted with people in teaching. I did a lot of work and sort of research around how to build inclusive classrooms, how to have inclusive practices in your teaching, how to use technology really effectively. And at the same time, I was doing my PhD. And I was in a group that I found useful in that. It was a place for me to go every day. It became part of my routine. I would sort of say, this is what I'm up to. I got to know some of those people. But all of the people in my group, we all were sort of frustrated by the fact that it was stale, (laughs) that any of the meaning that we got out of it, we were bringing for each other, as opposed to kind of the things that the, the platform was setting up for us. So as I was thinking about what I wanted my business to be, I really wanted to create a space for graduate students to meet each other. And I knew that I wanted to provide the sort of curriculum and I wanted to do the work of facilitating, but that I really wanted to build one-to-one relationships between students as much as I wanted a relationship between me as a coach and me and sort of grad students as a client. So I'm definitely involved in Thrive and I come on at everybody's progress every day and I run work togethers and I'm definitely present. But if I were to say, take a sick day, the, the community continues on because I'm not by any means the kind of sole meaning generating person there. Yeah, I think there's some important points there. Like like you were saying that your journey through grad school felt a bit stale and that the the real support was coming from from the community, from your peer connections, from your peer groups. And then you look to generate that for others today through this community, which I think is really important. You're not just making this up and, you know, creating some idea and then trying to to sell it as a business to the world. You're actually going for a need that you you've identified because you've lived it. Yeah, I sit every day on my desk um, and there's. I'm looking at it right now. I have a poster and it says, create the things you wish existed. And that is really kind of my motto for my business. Like it's the, the, the kind of uh, the test, the, like the litmus test that I run all of my products through. Is this something that I wanted to have existed when I needed it? And this is definitely 
my first and most robust path <laughs> towards making what I wish I had had as a grad student. I love it. The power of that's actually pretty important. So I'll, I'll even highlight, I, I do that all the time. And Katie, remember the days when we're, we're recording so we can see each other, she can see my office, but she remembers the days when I had motivational posters and, and tons of whiteboards and, yeah. <laughs> and lots of plans. We've cleaned that up a bit, but I always try to keep something in my space to remind me. So right now for me, it's um, certain individuals that run their business in a certain way. I want to do that. So I have a question right in front of me that says, would such and such do this today? Or would such and such make this decision? So it's just a constant reminder when you're growing your business, this is how I want to show up in that business. And for me, yeah, it's right now it's about business structure and growing and and keeping myself a little bit grounded as we try because there's a lot of moving parts in grab blogger and uh, safety science. Those motivational quotes and motivational things to look towards are really important. And I kind of encourage that. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely um, a lot of power in making it easy to remember the things you want to remember, whether that's the stuff you need to do that day or the kind of overarching things you want to stay in alignment with, I guess is how I would describe it. 100%. So that's a lot of background on the Thrive community. I think it's really important because I want to encourage people to check that out. And they, I'm on Katie's email list, so I see every time they open. I haven't actually been a member of the community myself. I'm no longer a grad student. And I'm not even sure the community is only for grad students, but just something that I wasn't involved in during that time. But it's it's really interesting to see it grow and develop. And I want to dig into some of the how it got set up. So maybe just where it is today, what's been the biggest challenge or couple challenges of, of growing the community? I think the first biggest challenge was as I entered the academic coaching space, I'm not the first person to coach. I am, won't be the last person. There's definitely dissertation coaches. There's all kinds of coaches. And so the first kind of question was, what is going to make my offering different? And the answer to that, I think for me, was it was going to be a space that was easy to access, like that there wasn't a huge burden, and that I, it was going to be easy to access in terms of pricing. So I have very specifically chosen to work with graduate students. And so like one of the reasons you're not in Thrive PhD is because you are not a grad student. Um, and I am, we do have some postdocs and we do have a little bit of a flexibility and I'm thinking about sort of expanding that audience, but it's really important to me to keep my offerings, at least right now, directly for and about grad students because it helps me with scope creep, right? Like the instant I start talking to all academics, my message gets a little muddled. And so I do, I think the first thing was what's going to make this specifically for grad students and what's going to make it specifically mine. And so I said that if I was going to do grad students, I was going to keep it at X price. So right now it's $10 a week and I'm committed to that $10 a week being the kind of upper limit. It's definitely something that I know there are many grad students for whom $10 a week is not nothing. Um, <laughs> that is money that they know exactly where that $10 is. And I take that investment really seriously. And so I work really hard on my end to make the management of the business as streamlined as I can so that I can justify the prices that I have. So in terms of what like the hardest thing for me to do at any one time is to balance what it means for me to be running and administering and also being present and providing coaching at this 
price point specifically and what that means in terms for like my time to money ratio. (laughs) So um, I would say that the second biggest challenge is that I wanted to take very seriously the idea that this was going to be as far as I could make it, knowing that I was going to continually fail at this, an inclusive space. So I wanted it to be accessible. I wanted it to be available to people. And I wanted it to be a place where you could come as kind of as much of yourself as you wanted to be. And there was going to be space to absorb that. So there are people in the community who are unemployed and looking for jobs. There are people who are underemployed and adjuncting between campuses. There are people who have families. Um, There are people who are caretakers. There are people who have full-time jobs. There are people who have full-time jobs in their secret. Um, There are people that... so there's a lot of different things that impact somebody's ability to do grad school. And so I really wanted to make a space that could hold all of that. But for me, part of the the danger in having a space where people can be open is being able to protect that information. So anybody who's ever had like an anonymous Twitter account knows that you can be a lot more open <laughs> if you are a Twitter account that's not linked to your professional identity. So I searched high and low and looked at a lot of different options, whether it was building it myself or kind of Facebook groups. Um, But I ended up prioritizing building a platform in a space that wasn't linked to social media. So my users can set their own usernames. Um, The only thing I need to know is their email and then their username and then that's sort of it, which means that I regularly forget where people are located or like (laughs) what their real names are. Or sometimes people like give me a shout out on Twitter and I'm like, I have no idea who this person is. And then I like troll back and I'm like, oh, you've been in this community for 16 months and I don't know because... I see you as this other kind of avatar. So I would say that the two biggest challenges were kind of like, how am I going to price this in a way that feels inclusive? And how am I going to set it up so that it's a space that people feel like they can bring themselves to? Yeah. And I think there's a couple things there. So you, you mentioned one really key thing that I want everyone to think about when they're, when they're getting into this online business space, because a lot of people start with a service they can provide or create a, a product or a you know a course or something and try to push it into the world. The first question you really need to ask yourself, and you may not be able to answer right away, but you need to if you're going to be successful in the long run, is why am I unique? What what makes me special or what makes me different? And you ask yourself that. And then then you need to find the audience that, that applies mostly most to. And don't let yourself be you you said the word scope creep. So when I started there's a big deterrent on whether or not I should only go for PhD students as my as my main audience, or if I should do something more general, more broad. And when I say students, I mean people with PhDs or finished PhDs, but have PhDs. Uh, and I really dived into to really my audience being people with PhDs to avoid that sort of scope creep. So I think that's an important point that I want to highlight. And then the challenges that you're mentioning around pricing, an inclusive space, allowing anonymity, which is always a struggle of a word to say for me. And those are all values-based decisions. And they may not apply for everyone. You need to kind of do some soul-searching there. I would suggest that you set yourself up with some struggles on a business sense that you don't know who your customer is in some of the cases, right? And that's that's okay. Just the way that that, uh, things kind of get set up, being anonymous up front like that. But I appreciate you sharing the struggles. Those are struggles that you're going to come up with if you're getting into the space and creating your own communities. I'm sure there's other people on on the call right now that are listening going, 
yeah, I've been thinking about doing this sort of community and I have those same issues. So they'll really resonate with that. You talked about pricing. So $10 a week is the pricing. And what would you say to someone that would say, you know, there's probably people in your community that that would like to pay more for extra help or more help in certain ways. Have you, have you thought about that a bit? Yeah. And that's the reason why Thrive has expanded beyond the community into kind of individual coaching and other places. So there are, are some people that start with me in the community and then we move into an individual relationship, sometimes on top of that and sometimes in place of that. There are definitely people who are like, I want to go deeper on this topic than the curriculum does. And I'm like, great, I'm happy to put this through. But then I am also always thinking as a business person, how am I going to make this sustainable for me, a one person? <laughs> so the the real rub for me is anytime I'm doing things one for one in real time, it becomes a real question of pricing, right? Because even though it's an incredible value, both for me as a practitioner and this person, for us to be working through something one-on-one, the amount that I would have to charge in order to make a one-to-one model work for the majority of my business for me is something I'm not comfortable with. So if X number of people say, I really want to know more about how to set up a dissertation chapter, for example, then I can say, okay, well, I guess it could work individually with people one-on-one as an editor. And that would have to be pretty expensive. Or I can spend a certain number of hours up front making a course about it. And then I can release it and release it pretty widely so that people can access it on their own time and they're not beholden to my schedule and my constraints. I love that you're thinking through that because I've I've seen even communities that where that's been a big detriment where you don't you don't provide any way for the person who wants more help and wants to pay more to do it and then and then they get kind of stymied as well. There's no matter what your community is going to be, there's always going to be 10% of your audience that wants to pay 10 times more for something specific. So that's a challenge and then the addressing it is thinking about it I like that you're creating these courses then to address those because then you're creating assets for the business as well, right? Those courses can be released evergreen or released outside. And and then you think about the lifetime value of that course is a lot more than just the one-on-one hours you could spend with somebody. Absolutely. So I would say that it's like thinking about <laughs> people join the community because they're drawn to me and the way that I think about things. And it is always this tension. And this is where I see a lot of people who have communities really kind of struggle with the, I want a community where people can support each other, but people are really there for me, the expert, right? And so I want to create a community around X skill that I am helping people build. But I make a pretty clear distinction in my head when I'm coaching in my community. These are things that I expect peers to help each other with. I expect that a peer could say to another peer, good job, you met your goal that day. Or, you know, I'm so excited or to follow up on a life thing that's happening. I don't expect peers to be able to say, here's the thing that you posted about what's going on in your life this week. Here are four different strategies to try. Like that's my job (laughs) because like I'm a coach. But if you are say building a community around you know how to add, like proofread your own writing, for example. There are some questions that people can learn and help each other with, but what's the incentive for them to do that? <laughs> and if people are paying in the community to access you and your knowledge in a more cost-effective way, 
then the community part of it's never going to work because it's just a forum for people to ask you questions. So there's, there's a lot to think about in terms of the dynamics. And I think that's where a lot of my skills in like classroom development and curriculum development actually really shine because I'm used to thinking through not only, okay, I made the space, now people go be a community and more about like, how do I nurture those interactions? How do I um, structure things so that those interactions are easy for people to make? And how do I clearly delineate both through my behavior in that space and the kind of rules and information that are posted, how people are supposed to interact with each other? Because very rarely do people just figure it out in the way that you're picturing it in your head. Yeah. Having run a, a 300 member just Facebook community grab blogger connect for over two years now. Um, it gets very difficult to manage and it kind of, it grows in its own, right? It's like a, it's not like the community members are children, but the actual community is like a child. Like you watch it kind of grow and blossom and change. And as the community owner, you're kind of there to guide it, but you don't have full control over how that grows. You, you mentioned a couple of things I want to dig into. I want to try to get out some tips that people can have for increasing engagement inside these communities. And you mentioned, um, you mentioned one part of this, just nurturing the interaction and getting people to connect. Do you have some ideas and things that you've tried that have worked to to increase engagement? Yeah. So before I address that, <laughs> I'm going to say that all of these tips kind of fall underneath the number one rule that I have for community engagement, which is make people have a reason to be in that space. Anybody who's ever made a website knows that in order to drive traffic, you kind of have to have a relationship where your users expect a certain amount of content to be released on a certain schedule. And then you uphold your side of the bargain by like delivering that. And communities are no different, right? And so if you only update the material in that community once every month, but you're expecting that people are going to be there every day, it's a mismatch between like what their motivation is. So like... All of these things fall underneath the have people have a reason to be there. But I think that encouraging side-to-side interactions, it can be really helpful in the beginning to tag people in things. So there was a question in the community the other day about there was a member that really wanted to learn R. And because certain of the groups are private to each other, I had to kind of go in and say, oh, well, X member actually works in R pretty regularly. And I tag them in that question. Or I facilitate kind of like like a group chat you know, these three people I know are all interested in R. Maybe you guys can have this space. So sometimes it's about creating the connection and then letting people talk as they will, sort of like a meet cute, like setting people up on a date. But it's also encouraging and really adding positive reinforcement to when you do see those interactions happening. So say that somebody posted a question and then another member answered it. I would probably, especially in the beginning of a new session or kind of new members, go out of my way to thank that member for answering that question, just so that they know that that effort is seen and appreciated. And the more that you model that behavior, the more it tends to kind of spread. Yeah, I love it. There's a lot of good points there. And early on in the podcast, first couple of episodes, I talked about the book Tribes by Seth Godin. Pretty sure it was in episode two quite a bit and then episode three for sure because it's called causing a ruckus and that's the, the terminology that he uses. And the the point there is that when he talks about creating this movement, there's a big emphasis on allowing the community to, to speak with each other and that a community really will be stale and won't actually move forward unless you 
you allow them to do that. So a lot of these things you're talking about, engaging with people that are high engagers already, saying thank you and, and trying to encouraging that is one. Just connecting people when you think they can help each other is another. Going back to your your thoughts around some of the challenges, but finding what the gaps are in knowledge in the community, what everyone's asking for and creating that, creating a, a monthly course or short course or webinar or hour-long video just to address certain topics that are gaps already. I'm part of a, a community right now um, for online business that does that quite well. Every month they do a, a training for the community members. It's based on the questions that, that we're asking through. One thing you mentioned early on was this on, I call it onboarding, but do you actually have a specific, here's, you're new to the community. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Katie. This is you know what you should do next, and this is how you get involved or something. Is that part of the the workflow? Yeah, I guess I've never, I wasn't explicit. So I do run Thrive PhD on Mighty Networks, which is like a paid service. I do pay for it. So in case anybody's curious, I'm usually pretty open about how and when I do things. I'm in the middle tier of Mighty Networks. So um, not the highest tier and definitely not the free version um, in case you want to know like what my tech is. And I also pay for Zoom subscriptions so that I can have longer chats with people that are more people than one person on the call. But those are the only two paid things that I use for Thrive PhD as a business done. That's it. And it's part of how I keep my costs really low. But in Mighty Networks, you can set up a sequence of articles that will either like be mailed to people or they'll be more visible in their feed. And so I do have a like welcome to Thrive PhD. Here are all of the rules. I do have a like member agreement that sort of says like these are the codes of conduct, just so that everybody's clear about that. I do onboard them into their small cabin, like I talked about, and there's kind of like getting to know you questions in there to sort of build a rapport as much as I can. And then I would say that I spend more time in Thrive those first two weeks than I really do any of the other things. Like I'm very careful um, to say, you know, how's it going? To follow up with people, to tag people in things, if, to make sure that they see them, to show them how to customize their notifications if they need to. But I find that really acting <laughs> in a way that reinforces the idea that I'm invested in them learning how to use the space effectively is really, really key to people feeling like they can be comfortable enough to just jump right in. Yeah. And you probably find out pretty quickly the holes in the system, right? If you're using it yourself, the things that annoy you are going to annoy your, your community members. And in Mighty Networks, you may not be able to change some of those things, but you may be able to come up with information that can point people in the right direction or even a frequently asked question or something to to alleviate them. Yeah. So I, um, in order to kind of like keep the community as fresh as I can, there's a weekly coaching call where people can submit questions and we talk through things. There is also a weekly article that comes out and that's usually the thing that is much more directed. Like here's something that I saw coming up for everybody this week, or here are some thoughts like you said about the kind of training that is more kind of in the moment responsive as opposed to the curriculum articles, which do stay pretty static. A couple of things I want to highlight as that I've seen from running my own community um, that and being members of, of several other paid communities, some some actually quite expensive. For my own community, uh, like polls and kind of get to know you information where people can pretty easily provide opinions are really great ways to get always get more engagement than posts. Um, so that's a really good way to do it. Allowing people to share their history. This is one place where Facebook really does not shine. Um, you can't, it's very hard to track historical information. Other communities I've been a part of that do it really well have a, 
you could create your own thread and and it depends on if you want to do this if you're in thrive anonymously then maybe just track your own progress we you create your own thread and say hey this is who i am this are my goals for the next three six nine months and then in that thread you post your progress on the goals and that allows you to allow somebody else to come in and look at your history say this is this is what this person's done and get to know you a little bit so allowing people to track individual history is a, is a great feature i've seen it done a bit in mighty networks although i don't think it's the perfect platform for it but it can be done with some kind of threading and then a couple others i wanted to wanted to mention so just sharing your stuff posts i mean in facebook this works every sunday we have a sharing post says share something you've created you put in the world in thrive this could be like share your biggest um, achievement this week or share your one goal for the week that you want to get done that kind of keeps people coming back and and engaging more so those are some other thoughts i had on on ways you can increase engagement in your community any other ones that popped up while I was saying those ones that might be worth trying to get out there? Um, yeah, like I, we definitely have like a weekly wins thread, but I think that the most important thing that I've found is not even so much the content of the threads. Like, yes, like there are certain kinds of things that get more engagement than other things. And you should always aim to replicate the things that have the most engagement, but keeping things consistent so that people know when they can and can check in. So People in my community know that like the new day gets posted at 5 p.m. on the day before Eastern time because we have people all over the world. So that's like tried to make it so that it's in the beginning of the day in Australia and the end of the day here. But the more I'm always <laughs> surprised and kind of heartened when the network is down because then I can see how people use it. So there are certain people who check in every morning. There are certain people who do it at the end of the day. But setting up your things so that they can be as flexible as you can so that it's not a, this is your 15-minute window in order to do this. And if you miss it, then you're out for the week because that is really exclusionary. So keeping things that are open, that are recirculating so that people can adjust their behaviors so that this fits into their life as opposed to trying to fit their life around your schedule. No, it makes a lot of sense. So those are a lot of great tips on how to improve engagement inside a community. I think you could use those, whether you're running a Facebook community, whether you're running this as part of your business, like they're all things that could be could and really should be integrated. So I hope the, the listeners really take a lot away from that. I know you're very open about building your business. So I, I kind of thought of a question that came up because I've experienced it myself. Um, and since you're really good in this space, you may have an answer. Uh, but the, the question is, so when I was growing my Facebook community, I became very attached to it for, for a while. And when there wasn't things going on, when things were quiet, when people weren't around, it, it actually kind of beat me up a little bit. And I was wondering, do you have any tips for anyone that's running a community today that's like, how do you kind of detach yourself a bit? You want to deliver for your your people that are in the community, for your your clients or the people that you're helping or your audience. But at the end of the day, if you leave every day feeling beat up or like you've given all of yourself, that's not a good a good way to go either. Do you have any kind of thoughts around that? Yeah, and I think that it's definitely hard. And I will say, I'll be really open and honest and say that the Thrive enrollment continues to grow, but it's not a linear like, path. Like some sessions are better than others. And I'm really lucky that I have like a core group of users that are really invested in the platform and help me definitely. It wouldn't be the space that it is without them. But it goes up and down. Like sometimes we have four new groups and sometimes we just have one new group and it really does kind of fluctuate. And it's easy to take that personally. And so the question that I always ask myself is, 
am I upset about this? Because I know that I'm not doing what I need to, to show up in the space that I built, or am I feeling good about what I'm bringing? And this is just sort of a natural reaction to the ups and downs that are always going to happen. So I find that getting support from my peers and people who I look up to and people who are actually helping me grow helps me show up in the space, right? So like I have a mastermind group full of the most amazing, badass people that you can see (laughs) and we support each other. And so I am really clear about like, okay, I'm feeling low about this. I need to check this with a group of people that are separate from my business and be like, is this me? Is this them? Is it all of us? Is it the world? And then we can kind of work through that because it's not the job of my community to make me feel confident about my business. The job of my community is to uplift its members and for me to hold that space for them. Yeah. And your job is to show up, right? And my job is to show up in the way that I said that I was going to, if not above and beyond that way. So I would say that it's definitely natural to go through cycles of like, this isn't working or this feels stale. But if you're more invested in the metrics, (sighs) metrics are only so useful. (laughs) And like, there's definitely a lot of wisdom in the idea that like, you have to collect enough data for that thing to be significant. And so I think a lot about like, is this flip statistically significant or is it part of a bigger trend or could this just be an off week or an off session? Yeah, sure. And the only reason I ask that is because I've had the same thing where you feel the downs of a community and you're like, ah, and then you really want to kind of pour yourself into them. And the question is, well, is that actually, you know, you need to detach yourself a bit from it in order to actually come up and show up the next day to be helpful again. So I appreciate you going through that. Just to kind of close off on this, I want to get your idea. If someone's interested in building their own community today, maybe they have an online business where they're doing some coaching and they're providing this sort of information already, what's sort of the the first thing or the next step you would sort of recommend or the first step you'd recommend to just going down this path and getting getting moving towards this type of vision for their, their business? I would say that the first thing to do before you sign up for any network, before you start with any logos, that it's really easy to... The amazing part and the dangerous part about starting a community is that it's incredibly easy to do so. You can have a Facebook group in 30 seconds if you want it. I would say sit down, not in front of your computer, and make a list of the things that you want your users to get from that community. And then say, which of these things are from me? Which of these things are from each other? Which of these things are from resources that I can put in there? And because the clearer you can get about the, the aims of that community... And the more specific you can get about that, the more you can build the platform to deliver those aims, as opposed to just saying, I want a community and setting up the space and then being like, okay, what do we do in here? Set up the space so that it helps you do the thing that you want to do. I love it. That's a great tip. And I think it's a really great place to to leave off on. And I would encourage anyone to to go check out Katie. Uh, The the website for Thrive PhD is www.thrive-phd.com. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram, just Thrive PhD with no dash. And like I said, I would follow her on there because just watching her on social media, you'll you'll learn a lot about how to interact with your customers, how to be open, um, how to interact with your audience. And I really appreciate and I've tried to learn some of the things that she does on there. And if people are interested in learning more about Thrive PhD, is there one place they should go or anything that's kind of coming up that uh, really deserves to be highlighted at this point? I would say that 
um, go to the website, like read around. I've tried to make it as kind of clear as I can, um, but that I am pretty approachable and responsible responsive rather on a variety of different platforms. So you can send me a DM. And then I also do offer like free 30 minute slots for people. Um, so I have that link in, I think in my Twitter bio, if not, it's, it's discoverable. You can always DM me and ask me for it. And people hop onto my schedule all the time to be like, Hey, can you look at this community and see what's working? Or, Hey, I have this really specific question. And it's part of what, um, my like inclusivity practices that those are free and people, um, are welcome to pick my brain if they're for the picking. So, no, we, we appreciate that. And I hope you get a, a, a lot of people to taking you up on that. Hopefully not so much that crushes your calendar, but it's uh that's, that's really great to hear. I think that'll be a big help. And when this episode comes out, if you're listening to it, the, the week that it comes out, which some people will be, I think you will probably be just bringing people in for the October session of thrive if you're listening to it in the future, so that was October, 2019, that's this year listening to it in the future, definitely check out thrive PhD or look up Katie on social media because, uh, she's, she's there to add a lot of value in grad students life. And she's a great business person as well. So as always, I really appreciate having Katie on and I look forward to the chance to get her on for some other topics in the future on the podcast. So thanks Katie. You're welcome. Have a great day. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Dr. Katie Peplin, and we've been talking about how to run a successful online community for grad students. Katie brought up a lot of really important points that are there to consider, important to consider for the specific audience, and just brought up a lot of her story. So we covered what Thrive PhD is, how it helps grad students, covered a lot of the background on how it got developed over time, how her thought process went from sort of coaching to individual to growing this community out. And we talked about some hard topics like pricing. How do you select your pricing? We talked about the technology. She's using Maidu Networks for her, her community. And we talked about things like scope creep. And also, how do you go about increasing engagement for your community? And we hit maybe seven or eight different ideas for that. So we'll pull those out and put them in a cheat sheet that you can get at grabblogger.com slash 21. As always, you can get the transcripts of this episode there as well. And I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I really want to thank Katie again for coming on. And I look forward to talking to you again next week on the, the Grab Blogger podcast, helping you build your online business. Mm-hmm.